Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. We answer your Minnesota Vikings roster questions next on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. Hello, hello. It's a Reggie Wilson Wednesday, the mailbag edition on Locked On Sports Minnesota. It's the Minnesota Football Party. Welcome in one and all. I'm Sam Ekstrom. That's Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman on Twitter. And that's Reggie Wilson at Reggie Wilson TV. He's the CARE 11 Sports Director and Anchor. He joins us every Wednesday and Friday on Locked On Sports Minnesota. So much to get to. We've got your fan questions coming in and some good ones today, including Justin Jefferson's contract. What's the deal there? That outlook on some edge rushers. Questions about DJ Wanham and Marcus Davenport. What cut-down day mistakes have the Vikings made in the past? And uh, a look at the QB depth chart now that they've added a fourth arm in Jordan Ta'amu. All of that, plenty more on today's Minnesota Football Party, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. And we should get started right away because a plethora of questions have come in. Everybody wants to talk about this Vikings roster as we get closer and closer to cut down day. Let's start, though, with the man that everybody wants to talk about, Justin Jefferson. Contract talks have been very quiet. Everybody's focused right now on TJ Hawkinson with this mysterious ear infection that a lot of people uh, are skeptical about, including myself. But no one's really talking about Justin Jefferson. And I think Reggie, he's not in the contract year, right? The fifth year option still applies. He can play out the year and he's still a Viking. He's not exposed to free agency. But no one's talking about that contract extension uh, what what do you think about that timeline? And, and might it just not happen this uh, this offseason? Yeah, I thought that it would be done at some point this offseason. But the more we kind of go along, the more I'm like, well, maybe that's just not the top priority. Like, we still got a couple weeks before the season starts. And maybe that is, you know, still something that's going to be on the way, but it's like I'm still just waiting on Quasi to like make that big splash and like that first big, big signing that he has as the GM. And we have not seen that yet. And so, you know, who better to extend than Justin Jefferson? But the fact that it hasn't happened yet, I'm just trying to understand like, you know, what type of money needs to be, you know, continually moved around or what what the deal is with that because we just haven't seen what we thought we will see by now. I mean, the the deal is going to happen at some point. It's a no-brainer to extend this guy, but, yeah, it just hasn't happened. So I guess we just continue to wait. He doesn't really want to talk to us much about that particular thing anymore. Um, and I understand it because it's just like, look, I don't have much of an update for you guys. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. And so that's a thing. But I'm just I'm just eager to see them actually get it done. But the more it goes on, the more you're like, is this going to happen? 
Yeah, it's so tough to get a read on it, isn't it, guys? Because you're right. JJ, the player, they never give you anything. They're tight-lipped. The coaches and the GM get up to the podium. They're tight-lipped. They don't get you anything. So you're really just going based off assumption. And I think, again, we all assumed that it would have happened by now. And Reggie's right. It still could happen. I still think at the end of the day, before week one, either Hawkinson or JJ is getting a massive deal. But if it doesn't, I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I, I think maybe a lot of people will be disappointed just because at this point we've assumed for so long it's going to happen this offseason, but he's still locked up for next year as well. And really, when it comes down to you know crunching the numbers and nickel and diamond, is it really that much of a difference between 28 or 30 million the next two, three, four years versus 30 to 33 million? I don't think it's that huge of a difference in the big picture with a player of this magnitude, but Reggie's right. I think it's not a matter of if it's still a matter of when last year Quasi's first year he made a ton of moves starting about really about this time frame going into preseason game number three right before week one of the regular season yeah Quasi is very attached to his stock market sensibilities and here's what I mean by that we talk about him buying the dip right he finds players that were underperforming that have upside and he gets them at value Zadarius Smith, who you know is coming off an injury, Marcus Davenport, who underperformed, Dean Lowry, who underperformed. He finds those kind of guys and he signs them at, at what he perceives as value. And I think that the inverse of that is what we're seeing right now. Think about the the four players that have been in the headlines in terms of contract negotiations: Kirk Cousins, Daniil Hunter, Justin Jefferson, T.J. Hawkinson. I would say all four of them increased their value last year. Daniil Hunter had a successful, healthy season. Kirk Cousins, 13 wins. Justin Jefferson, legend stuff. TJ Hawkinson, fit like a glove. All four of them increased their value. TJ Hawkinson, he would set the market at tight end, I think, or at least be close. Justin Jefferson would set the market. Kirk Cousins would cost you 40 plus million dollars a year. Like All of these guys had cases to make like kind of market high-end contracts i think quasi he he's not selling high but he's like allergic to negotiating at these these contracts that are valued so maybe even above what these guys are worth based on what they did last year so i think he's almost pumping the brakes on all of them he's saying you know let let's wait on justin you know we we, we don't know we don't need to sign this right now um almost as if he's anticipating that value to decrease for whatever reason and I don't know if that goes over great with the player, but that's just the sense I get. He doesn't want to give out more like high market rates to players that may not stay there um, in the long term. So that that's just kind of the way I feel right now. And I don't know if Justin gets done or not. Uh, quick on Hawkinson, 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest. On the BS meter, this TJ Hawkinson ear thing, where are you at with that? I actually don't have a read on it at all. I've just kind of been taking it for mm -hmm. what it's worth, like just taking it at at its value. I saw last Wednesday when I was at practice last, uh, Hawkinson walking off with the trainer. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And so I just thought that, you know, this was training camp. He's being, you know, cautious, taking his nicks and dings that usually happens in training camp. But you guys got a little bit more insight than I do on uh, on whether or not this this issue that he's dealing with is more than just physical health. Well, how long's it been now? Three weeks. 
for an ear infection, I don't know. It just seems just seems it, a little fishy to me. That's all. Are, especially with the contract yeah. negotiations that we assume are going on in the background. It just seems a little fishy. It does. And the the messaging has been very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And if they're really that concerned, okay, so three-week ear infection, if true, very serious. How can TJ Hawkinson declare so confidently that he's going to be ready for week one? Like he was up there talking about, I'm going to, I'm eyes on week one, going to be ready for week one. Well, how can you say that if you've got a three week ear infection? And secondly, if health is the main concern, why is he getting in pads and going out in the hundred right. degree heat doing walkthrough? Right. Like why, why is he out there at all? I right. Just, is I, it serious or not? Yeah. Pick one and go with it. I I'm just, I'm very, I'm very skeptical of the whole thing and his, his, kind of like he doesn't want to get into details the coach doesn't want to get into details that'd be the quickest way to dissolve this is to give like more detail about what's happening and no one wants to go there so i've just got i've got my reservations um you know we'll see how it plays out very hard to verify an ear infection i know my kids i i'd like to see i'd like to look in his ear canal you know my kids <laughs> had ear infections they had a bunch of goop coming out they had gunk they had to like take tissues four times a day and wipe out their ears. I'd like to see TJ Hawkinson's ears. Um, maybe TJ will, will grant that request just to prove that everything is kosher. Um, moving on from uh, looking in TJ Hawkinson's ears. <laughs> uh, by the way, thank you uh, to school page for the question. This is from Matt Anderson. We haven't talked about Marcus Davenport much. What are your expectations for him this season? Reg Marcus Davenport. By the way, he he walked by me yesterday. That is a, a massive human. He is a huge dude. Yeah, very huge dude. I think um so here's the thing. It's kind of like a low risk, high upside type of a signing that Quasi did with Marcus Davenport. As long as he stays healthy, he should have a chance to do some things. And you would think because of the deal that he signed, the one-year kind of like prove-it deal, just a half a sack last year, you would think that he wants to get paid. He wants to establish or reestablish himself as a premier pass rusher in the league. And if it works out like Zadarius last year, he can get a bag like Zadarius did. And so I think if he finds a way to get nine, ten sacks this year, like, That would be best case scenario. If he gets more than that, that would be a home run scenario uh, for, you know, the the deal that he signed. But I think as long as the health is the the main thing, because that's been kind of like a thing with him during his career. Um, I, I was in Cincinnati and they had Davenport and Trey Hendrickson in New Orleans. And people were like, "Eh, I'm not really sure. You know, the the Bengals gave Hendrickson a deal and that deal that they gave Hendrickson now looks like it was a steal because he's gone there and just lit it up. And people Mm -hmm. were thinking like, well, they they had Davenport, they had Cam Jordan, they had, um, you know, Hendrickson all in the mix. That's how he got his. And then Hendrickson went to Cincinnati and showed like, hey, actually, like. I could do this. Like I'm, I'm actually a good pass rusher. And I think this gives Davenport kind of like that same opportunity to come to Minnesota and do the same thing, establish himself on the other side of Daniil, both of them really kind of playing with a lot on the line with, with paydays to be had with them moving forward after this season. And I think that's more incentive right there to get after it, 
get after that quarterback. So I, I'm excited to see like what he does as a bounce back from last year and also as he tries to secure the bag for his future. Yeah, it's a great question by Matt because he's right. Like he's kind of the wild card of this bunch and he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit when we think about this defense. I think for me, my expectation is he's got to come in and be the second best pass rusher on the team because quite frankly, he has to if this Flores scheme is going to work the way we all expect it to at this point. He needs to become the Robin to Daniil Hunter's Batman, so to speak, <laughs> be able to take advantage of all the single blocks and looks and, and just find a way to create consistent pressure because I know a lot's been made about those sack numbers like Reggie mentioned but at the end of the day especially in this kind of defense I think it's more about finding guys that can get after the quarterback more than just tallying up the sacks I guess at the end of the day and don't get me wrong like hey uh, I'll take a 12 sack season from them all day sure you got it but the Flores philosophy is all about confusing the quarterback the line of scrimmage first and foremost and then forcing those guys to make fast, quick decisions, get the ball out quickly, because the more that happens, the more those DBs in the back can start, okay, we can start trusting the pass rush and knowing these balls are getting out within two and a half, three seconds every time. That leads to them jumping more routes. It leads to them playing tighter coverage. It leads to more splash plays. Everyone starts doing their job. Everybody wins. So end of the day, I think the sack numbers are kind of like TDs and the fact that they can be very volatile, very inconsistent week to week, season to season. But as long as he's creating that consistent pressure, the defense is going to have a chance to succeed. And if we've learned one thing, too, by the way, under Flores, it's that everybody's going to get their turn in this front seven and even the safeties, for that matter, to rack up some big numbers throughout this entire season. So, yeah, expectations, I don't know, uh, number what, eight and a half sacks. I mean, the most he's ever mm -hmm. had is nine, I believe, in 2021. So right around yep. there. But more importantly, I think he's got to put up great pressure numbers again. Mm -hmm. And we've seen him do that the last four years as well. 114 quarterback hurries that averages about to almost 29 a season. And this time he's got, again, one of the best D coordinators and Daniil Hunter on the other side as well. So um, he needs to be that complimentary piece for sure. And Sam, I think what's interesting is I think this front seven is going to anchor this defense because there are so many question marks on that back end. You know, you got Harry back there, you got Bynum back there, but, you know, you got big Harrison Phillips down there on the, on the defensive line, and then you got Hunter on one side, Davenport on the other side, Wanham uh, has had success as well. Um, and so when you when you kind of think about though that front seven, I feel like those guys are gonna kind of control the tempo and and the pace on defense, and then the the back end will kind of go as they lead. But if they're getting like legit pressure, Byron Murphy is a guy who kind of likes to to gamble a little bit sometimes, and I think if they're yeah. able to get the type of pressure that even the 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 defense last year had or something similar or maybe even better we'll see um i think that's gonna make a very opportunistic secondary feast back there yeah yeah it could be a little feast or famine too with with some of that single coverage that they leave themselves in but it's gonna be fun to watch to my eye marcus davenport has looked really good this camp there's no reason he can't be a successful three down player with his size he should be able to stop the run um, a little more effectively than he has in his career. And he's such an anomaly. Last year, 34 pressures and half a sack. You look at the other players that had that pressure total in the league, it's six, seven, nine, ten sacks. Like, the conversion rate from pressure to sack was so anomalous 
for Marcus Davenport. And the crazy thing is, no one talks about this. This has happened to him two out of three years. Because Luke mentioned he had the big nine-sack season in 21. But in 2020, the same thing happened to him. He had 34 pressures, the exact same number, and only two sacks. And again, look at the guys around him. Nine, seven, six. Like, we could be looking at a, an explosion from Marcus Davenport just by, like, regression, positive regression to the mean. Just converting at a normal rate should get him easy. Seven sacks this year. I think that eight and a half number is pretty nice that Luke threw out. If he's creating that much pressure, Sam, and he's not tallying up the sacks, that means somebody, he's creating some pressure and mm -hmm. setting somebody else up for some big numbers, just to, you know, the cleanup sacks, like we like to call them. Whether that's, again, whether that's Harrison Phillips or a Dean Laurie, as long as the pressures are there, somebody's going to start racking up those sacks for sure. And a, and a quick follow-up question from Adam Feist on this. There haven't been any reports about DJ Wanham from training camp, yet he hasn't played during the preseason. How has he looked? Um, my, my answer to that would be he's received a lot of like trust from this coaching staff. He's been the number three guy all the way through. He was the number two guy until Daniil ended the hold-in. And I don't know if it's a competition between him and Patrick Jones. I think that DJ Wanham is your number three edge rusher. And in fact, they're going to use him on the field in some three-man sets with Davenport inside, Wanham and Hunter on the outsides. And he's going to be out there in specific pass rushing situations. Um, I think they got, they got more out of him last year than the Mike Zimmer coaching staff did, I would say. I think that he's on a positive trajectory and he brings a little experience and athleticism to that group. I, I still, I've got my worries about him, but you know, Reg, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's a bad player. I mean, I think he's in his fourth year. This is kind of make or break for him, but I think he's fine. That's that's kind of where I'm at with DJ. Yeah, um, I, I don't think he's the the guy that you are relying on to get you double digit sacks or anything like that. But like, he has been a productive player in this defense and. You know, we thought that when we uh, lost Coach Patterson here in Minnesota <laughs> that maybe, you know, he might take a step back or, or things like that. But, you know, they rant and rave over their pass rushing guys, you know, guys like Chris Rumpf and um, who's the other Mike, um, the the uh, the other pass rush guy um, on the Mike Smith. Yeah, Mike Smith. Mm -hmm. Kwesi loves Mike Smith. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think he's still continued to ascend. And I think, you know, he, like I said, may not be a guy that gets you double-digit sacks every year or something like that, but he is a guy who can get you eight or nine maybe and, and be a productive player in the defense. And so if he continues to take steps forward, I think he will continue to help this team. And they have a nice little rotation with him and Patrick Jones in that, in that mix with Daniil and Marcus Davenport. I'm sorry. Are we talking about Vikings 2021 sack leader, DJ Wanham? Let him know. Luke. Put some respect on this boy's name. Come on now. I, I can't speak too much to how he's actually looked during OTAs and minicamp. That's more a question for, again, you guys, Sam and Reg. But I will say he was the backup role guy last year. That's kind of what he's always been. Edge guy number three. That feels like exactly what he's going to be again this year in 2023. Edge number three. 
right ahead Patrick Jones. And I don't know how much work Luigi Villain's gotten, but I've seen some clips where he's actually had some reps with the ones as well. So it just tells me it's going to be a heavy rotation this year. They're going to find what each guy does best. They're going to maximize that. We've seen DJ Wanham excel in both the run and the pass rush as well. So I expect him to be utilized on all three downs at any given point in the game. End of the day, the fact that he hasn't played much in the preseason, if at all, tells you he's not only a roster lock, but a guy they're going to depend on, again, in this heavy rotation in this front seven uh, throughout the entire 2023 season. Let's get in a quick word from FanDuel, and then we'll whip it around with some more fan questions. Great questions today, everybody. We're brought to you today by FanDuel Sportsbook. They're the official sportsbook partner of Locked On, America's number one sportsbook, and they've got great promotions going on all the time at FanDuel. And especially with football season coming, they are giving you a chance to win money all year long. Go make a Super Bowl futures wager Find a team that's going to win a bunch of games, and then every time they win during the regular season, you get bonus bets deposited straight to your account, and then you can reinvest those bonus bets in spreads, over-unders, futures, props, so many ways to wager on football at FanDuel. FanDuel.com slash locked on, a great place to get started. FanDuel.com slash locked on or the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Check it out today. FanDuel. Make every moment more. All right, quick answers, fellas. We got more questions to get to. Let's go from at Jay Jettis agent. Hey, Jay, Justin, uh, Justin oh. Jefferson's agent listens to oh. the show. Wow. Um, I believe I saw Brandel has been working both guard spots. Can he push for a starting role? Um, not week one, but Luke, I mean, you're, you've been plugged in with this Brandel thing now for a while. It feels like if Ingram scuffles mightily, Randall might be the number one guy to come in off the bench. Oh, I could see it. Absolutely. All this guy's done, by the way, six-round pick out of Oregon State is overachieved. All we've heard from the coaching staff all offseason is they love what they've seen from this guy throughout uh, minicamp, OTH, training camp, especially the last few weeks. His stock is still shooting up. Both KOC and Wes Phillips got up to the mic and podium. Nothing but positives to say about him. And I was surprised to see him at minicamp start on the inside initially at guard. I thought to myself, what are you doing? You, you just found your new swing tackle for the next two, three, four years. Don't get too cute now. Like, you found a good thing. Let's not overuse it here. But to see his versatility now, both inside and out, and then both on the right and left side, uh, it's been a great surprise. And I think if Ed Ingram or Ezra, for that matter, struggle, he's certainly the A1 choice, the next guy in line, to see if you can't get an upgrade in there at some point in the interior. Because we've talked about it at nauseum, guys. The interior offensive line, is really going to dictate how far this offense goes and, in turn, how much success the entire team has in 2023. What another great uh, find on day three by Rick Spielman, by the way. Blake Brandle, Oregon State. Yeah, and we don't know about Chris Reed, if he's going to get back, if he's going to be a pup yeah. situation. Like Again, that, that, that makes Brandle's versatility all the more important on that. Anything to add there, Reg? You know what? Our, our resident Blake Brandle insider, Luke Spinman, got us covered. I'm going to leave it there. He's got the scoops. Well, <laughs> Reggie, tell us about this linebacker depth chart because we got a question from Mir Gando, Mir Gando, um, fuzzy on the pronunciation, but uh, Darren Wolfson said it looked like Ivan Pace had surpassed Brian Asamoah on the depth chart, but Brian could earn it back during the season. I thought Asamoah was locked in as a starter. Do you think this is because of injury or performance? during camp and Reggie I'll tee up with this I, I thought there was maybe one day before the injury where I thought Pace was actually getting some first team work 
And then yesterday at the walkthrough, they were kind of going back and forth with the ones. And then KOC teased it. You know, he said, Pace is not playing to make the roster. He's playing to contribute right away. So is is this actually a competition now? Love that. Love that. I think it is a, a competition. It's weird, though, because, like, you trust your eyes, you know, and you, you kind of trust what you see. But then you also know that a lot of times these players are are just kind of doing what they do based on like because, you know, the the coordinator and, you know, the defensive coaches, they're trying to get looks. They're trying to see guys in certain situations and camp and practice. This is the time that they can do that. But you think about it. Look at all the undrafted guys that contributed to some of those teams in New England when when Flores had a, a Super Bowl winning defense that year when they beat the Rams. Like they they routinely did things like that where you're just like, oh, I've never heard of this guy before. And all of a sudden he's playing at like a Pro Bowl level. And look. Ivan Pace Jr. came into this league with a lot of chips on his shoulder because he felt like he was good enough to be drafted, maybe got knocked for his size or whatever, but he was a productive player in college. He was a productive player in high school, and I think he's just doing what he does, which is produce, and I think the the Vikings coaches, they're seeing that. I don't know how much to read into whether or not he has surpassed Brian Asamoa on the depth chart or, or whatever the case may be, because I know they have a high um, expectation for Asamoa and they didn't draft him as high as they did. And they didn't, you know, move on from some from a guy like Eric Kendricks to not have him in the mix. And I think it's a good problem to have because Asamoa is a talented player. And it seems that Ivan Pace Jr. is showing himself to be a talented player as well. So this competition will, will breed um, the best out of the both of these guys, which I think is the Vikings game. Yeah, Reggie's right. I mean, you think back to Flores in New England, there's no politics here with these Flores defenses. He doesn't care about the, the name on the back of the jersey, the status, first-round pick, undrafted, you're making $2 million, you're making ten. None of it really matters. So the best 11 guys are going to see the field more often than not. I still think, and Sam, you and I talked about this just a little bit yesterday, I still think big picture, long-term, it's Asamoa and Ivan Pace in 2024. I think yeah. Hicks is usually, more times than not this season, going to be the first guy to sub out. Older legs, you want some fresh legs in there, give him a breather, lower his snap count when you can. But I don't know a lot about the injury itself. I just, I have to go back to our mindset where we all started this offseason and that Brian Asamoah is not only going to be a starter this year, but he's going to be a centerpiece of this defense for years to come. So um, if, in fact, Ivan Pace did come in and just steal that man's job outright, I think that speaks more volumes to what Ivan Pace is doing mm -hmm. than a detriment to uh, Brian Asamoah and his talents for the future, for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Asamoah-Pace pairing you know, during this regular yes. season by the end of the year. Maybe that's your starting group. Yeah, and but some I, three linebacker looks too. 3-3-5 three, three, defense, three down linemen, three linebackers, five DBs on the field as well. Just get your best 11 guys on the field. Brian Flores will do that more times than not, for sure. And I could see Pace even subbing in for Asamoah in run situations, too. They might really like his run defense. They, they could do some sub packages, too. It's not black and white with who they have to play. Um, all right, going to cherry pick. We got a couple questions from Don John. Quickly, Inman, knee-jerk reaction. Is there trade value for Jalen Rager? 
trade value? Oh boy, not at this point. I don't think so. He just hasn't shown enough. I get the question and the mindset. He's still young, still got that first round pedigree. But you know, if if we gave up what a fifth and a fourth last year, uh, asking for anything more than a seventh, to be honest, and that a conditional at that in twenty twenty six or whatever it may be, is probably the most you could ever hope for. Uh, and then Reggie, the other question from Don John, Jaron Hall and Jordan Ta'amu, will one or both be on the practice squad or none? Ooh. Ooh. So they can keep three quarterbacks, right? I don't think that they will cut bait with Jaron Hall just like that, right? I would think that you would probably put if, – if Hall doesn't make the squad, I think you would want him to be on the practice squad – I, I don't I don't know that St. Louis Battlehawks legend Jordan Tamu uh is is someone that you know you could kind of like hide away or keep away on the on the practice squad. He's been around a little bit, um, starting I think with the the Chiefs after his first stint with the XFL. And so I think that might be something where you're like, oh, you know, you you try to stash him and somebody grabs him. But I think you want to hold on to Jaron Hall, just because you you drafted him and and you kind of want to see how he develops. I agree with that, and I I don't I think Tamu I think his purpose is just to give them another arm and a backup for Saturday's game. Like no disrespect to him, I I think that's kind of what his purpose is. Last one, um, and you're forgiven, Reg, if you don't if you don't have like the bank of Viking seasons under your belt to answer this one, uh. Are there any players in recent memory who were cut by the Vikings on cutdown day and then signed by another team and went on to have a great career? First name that comes to mind, Marcus Epps. Yeah, be... he wasn't cut on cutdown day, though. Uh, I thought he was. No, nah, he was put on the IR and then like week eight, the Vikings cut him because I'm with you, Sam. That was the first name I thought of, too. And then I did some digging. and I was like, OK, oh, he was okay. on the Vikings till about week eight. Then they dropped him. Needed to add somebody else. Philly scooped him up. The rest is history. But yeah, it, you go through the list, at least the last 10, 12, 15 drafts, there's not a ton of guys on there that were cut actually on cut down day itself. A lot of these guys that went on to have success with other teams, especially early in their career, being cut second, third year in their career, it wasn't cut on cut down day itself. It happened, you know, week six, week eight, something like that after they were put on the IR or the pup or something like that. So yeah, this was it was a good question. It was just tough. I think about uh TY McGill from last year. Yeah. I was just like, dang, he was he had a great preseason at a great camp, and then it was the what was it, the wave injury settlement type situation. And then he ended mm -hmm. up going to San Francisco and and getting into their rotation. So yeah, I thought that that was a player that, that maybe they should have held on to. Mm -hmm. uh, Kurt Coleman is in my brain. Was Kurt Coleman a one-time Viking? Kurt Coleman was signed 2014 and then released yeah, on cutdown day. Kurt Coleman went on to have a pretty good career as a, as a safety for the Panthers and then Saints and then mm. Bills. Yeah, that's um, a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's and, and that wasn't a draft pick. That was someone that they signed after a, a journeyman stretch. Kurt um, Coleman yeah. from Dayton, Ohio. Yes. Ooh, good yes. pull. Hey, There's not a ton that. of examples. Okay. Vikings have generally had pretty good There's judgment. really not. But comment below if we forgot somebody. There's probably – they cut Mike Remmers. Mike Remmers went on to have a career. Then they re-signed him mm. in 2017. So it, uh, it all came back around. That's the show today. He's Reggie Wilson, Care 11 Sports Director and Anchor on Twitter. 
at Reggie Wilson TV, Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman. We appreciate you watching and listening. We're going to head out to joint practices. I'll have the reports at Sam Ekstrom on my Twitter account, Vikings Cardinals this afternoon in the extreme heat. We appreciate it. And uh, tune in tomorrow on the football party. Arif Hassan, Luke Braun, and Ron Johnson join the program. Have a great day. Be blessed. Spread love.